HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of The Grape Nation is brought to you by Vivino. Discover and buy wines wherever you are. Visit vivino.com backslash heritage to stock up. Hi, I'm Moxie Rosenblum. My dad, Harry Rosenblum, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy, and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and Three, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're celebrating pride. We speak to the bakers who created a custom wedding cake for Charlie Craig and David Mullins, the couple behind the Masterpiece Cake Shop Supreme Court case. We felt that what happened to Charlie and David was an absolute injustice. Kat Johnson addresses the controversy surrounding Antony Porosky, Queer Eye's food and wine expert. Many viewers thought these recipes were unsophisticated. And finally, Hannah Forden speaks with nutrition educator Leah Kurtz about the relationship between veganism and queer identity. It's an interesting way in which food can challenge invisible value systems even greater than sexuality does. Listen to Meat and Three, that's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E this week, and celebrate Pride with HRN. Available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and your favorite listening apps. Welcome to The Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Jenny Guzio. We'll talk to Jenny about women and wine because it's June at The Grape Nation. We'll talk to her about Italian wines and a lot more. We'll taste an Etna Bianco from Sicily that Jenny brought in for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. 
Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Jenny Guzio is the newly appointed Associate Director of Wine for Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group. Jenny is the Wine Director at Maolino, Marta, and Vine Frite, overseeing the wine program at the company's Italian eateries. Jenny has worked at some of the best restaurants in New York City, including Scarpetta, Del Posto, and Felidia. Jenny also spent a few years on and off in Sicily's Mount Etna, working hospitality and the harvest. And she brought in a Sicilian wine, which we'll drink later. Jenny, welcome. Thank you for coming on The Grape Nation and being part of our Women in Wine Month. Thank you for having me. All right, so let's tell the audience who you are. Give us a quick background on your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are, which is at Union Square, Associate Wine Director, overseeing three restaurants, when did the whole wine thing start? Well, I started off in the hospitality industry at a very young age. It probably as soon as I was old enough to work, I started working in restaurants. I grew up in rural New Jersey, so that meant at the start working in pizzerias and places in my hometown. Um, and I grew up in a family that uh, didn't drink wine, really. Uh, Italian? At least. I know, an Italian-American family that didn't really drink that much wine. Um, my grandfather was actually a pilot for TWA, and his uh, route was from Newark to Rome. Mm. Um, and he spent a lot of time in Italy and Europe. And so um, peripherally, there was that culture. But um, no one had a real strong affinity for wine. Uh, it was more so food growing up. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but working in restaurants, I learned, obviously, um, a little bit about wine at an early age, but it really didn't start um, to a serious degree until I moved to New York in 2001. What, but you went to Colorado mm -hmm. for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you left rural New Jersey, if you can believe there's a rural part of New Jersey, <laughs> You went out to Colorado. Any wine-related stuff there? Zero. Zero. No, I went okay. out to Colorado because I, um, I wanted to study anthropology, and so I went to college in Durango, which is in the Four Corners. Perfect setup for um, wine. And, you know, I always loved nature, so that was another reason that brought me to that place. Um, it's a spectacularly beautiful part of the, the world, um, but no wine really going on there. And um, I just didn't find it to be a place where I was going to spend a lot of time. I knew after a short period that I was going to come back to New York or come back to the East Coast. Um, and so I kind of found myself in this place where I wanted to do the polar opposite of nature and move to New York City. And at the time, I was still only 19. So um, so that's 01, you said. 2001, So yeah. what starts happening from then on? Well, I did what was natural to me, which was to find a job in a restaurant. Um, and I re-enrolled in school, but um, kept working in restaurants and found myself working in nicer and nicer, more serious restaurants that ultimately had wine programs. Um, and at the time, I was uh, simultaneously in a relationship with someone whose parents were very into wine, um, wine collectors. 
and very much... Is that much, a major exposure It was you? the first major exposure because they were also very big diners. And so we lived in New York City, so they would come and visit us in New York and take us out to some of the best restaurants, and we would, you know, drink wine that... I wish I remember the bottles that what, I drank back then. Did they have then. a favorite? Was it Burgundy, Bordeaux? Uh, they, Cal- were, they were actually very into Italian wine. We okay. would drink Brunello. Um, they were into California wine also, but... That was my first sort of... Was it, oh, wow, like this stuff's great? Yeah, or? yeah I understood that it was great. And, okay. And I enjoyed the experience of tasting wine seriously with food um, and also the service of wine at some of these restaurants. And I, I realized then that I wanted to work in better restaurants because I was experiencing the service at better restaurants. Mm. So first significant or major hospitality wine job was when and where my first wine job was at scarpetta uh which was scott about, conant yeah was there that was in the fairly close to the beginning of the opening of that restaurant hot so spot. kind of the heyday yeah. very much a hot spot um and it was my first song position i had already taken courses at the american sommelier association and had already at that point decided that uh, i was going to make wine my career Um, and I found a niche in Italian wine there that kind of fit naturally with my upbringing and with my love for travel I had already traveled to Italy a number of times and so it just became right and um, your boyfriend's parents then were into (laughs) Italian and all well yeah this was a little after that yeah yeah no I meant but (laughs) That laid down of some course. groundwork and all that. Yeah. So you're at Scarpetta how long? Uh, I was there for several years, mm-hmm. um, which is where I met George. Obviously, at that time, he was the wine director of Scarpetta, and it was sort of a two-man wine team, so it was him and I. Um, now, George is somebody that you're seeing right now. Still, yes. So we'll make So we're that talking met- about, yeah, full disclosure, we're talking about eight years ago, but... Um, so you get out of Scarpetta mm-hmm. because it's time to move on? Actually, George and I had an opportunity to move to Sicily while we were working at Scarpetta. That's when you went to Italy. And so that was the first time that we went to Sicily uh, to work. What year? Uh, 2010, I believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you went to be with someone specific, right? Or did you meet that person there, Foti? No, we went specifically to work for Salvo Foti. Now explain who Salvo Foti is. Uh, So Salvo Foti is an enologist and an agronomist. Uh, He has worked all over Sicily, and he's uh, really helped to shape, I think, the renaissance that we know today of Mount Etna. Um, But he also has worked all across the island and helped a lot of producers that... um, are considered some of the top producers right. today get their start. So you work with him in wine, harvest winery, but you also do some hospitality there, work in restaurants? Yeah, so he initially had wanted to open an osteria, so a place where people could have simple meals, a traditional Etnian cuisine, and also taste the wines of Evenieri, which was his consortio his group um so we were initially brought there because he was looking for people who 
spoke the language a little bit, but also spoke English and were passionate about Aetna and the wines and, and had a service background. And he, I think, was drawn to us because we were both sommeliers. Right. So you spend how much time? Does that pan out, the restaurant and everything? It didn't pan out because we were unfortunately not able to get um, a work visa that would allow us to stay uh, for the long term. So we did stay um, for a period of time, and then we actually came back to New York, uh, worked in New York at Scarpetta again, okay. and then went back again to Sicily uh, to make another go of it. Okay. Um, but did that happen? Ultimately did no. not. No. So you, now you come back again after two times in Sicily. So we came back, and... Um, while actually, while I was in Sicily, I had met someone um, who was connected to the Batali Bastianich group at the time, um, Del Posto specifically, and he introduced me to Jeff Porter um, and suggested that I might um, be interested in a position at Del what Posto. Year? What year was that? Uh, this is again, this is uh, maybe 2011. And when did Del Posto 12. open? 2008. I okay, think. so it's yeah. been around a few. Or no, years. actually, maybe even earlier. Yeah. Earlier. So you spend how much time there? Uh, a few years. A few years. Again, a few years. Yeah. Don't tell me you left there to go to Sicily. Um, I did once. You did. Okay. <laughs> so that's a third time. <laughs> I did. Uh, at one point, I did ask um, that I could go back for for a little while and maybe come back, maybe not, if they right. would be so. Gracious. So kind to hold my position, right. and um, and that ended up happening. And you come back, you go back to Del Posto, you go yeah. somewhere else? I went back to Del Posto, and I continued working there. Um, it was a great and then time you, of my life, a great experience working there, especially. Incredible restaurant. Really shaped. And then you finished off at one other place? Was it Felidia? Well, yeah. So, I mean, same restaurant group. Group, right. Uh, well, that's Mario's. No, mm-hmm. that's Joe's mom. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jeff asked me if I would be interested in running the wine program there. And so that's how it happened. First time you ran the program? Yeah. Was it Felidia? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And you did that for how long? I did that for, again, about two years. Two years? Yeah. That was another incredible experience. I can imagine. A really historic restaurant and program that many people have gone through many great yeah, professionals their have alumni gone through. is great, and um, it's been around a while. Yeah, you know, incredible Garrett. seller. Yeah. Um, all right, so get me to current. So eventually you leave there, and... So I left there, and um, I knew that I just wanted the next thing that I did to really be something that I could do for the long term that was going to be the right fit. And so I really kind of took my time. Um, talking to people and interviewing and um, I really wanted to work for Union Square Hospitality Group and so I met uh, John Reagan and still there still there and we started talking um, and we had lots of conversations and uh, ultimately the opportunity at Mayalino opened up and that was kind of the right fit for me when was that? That was in September of 2016. Okay, so we're going on a couple of years mm-hmm. when this fall comes. Yeah. All right, so you're, we'll talk about their wine list, you know, in a few minutes um, in the restaurant and the other restaurants. So you spend 
some time there and eventually take on more responsibility? Yeah, I've spent, um, I would say I'd spent almost the last two years working to build the team there. At Myelina. Yeah. Obviously had a really incredible foundation in terms of a wine program. Um, so I kind of made that my own in small ways and continued to grow that and with the goal of really just making it an incredible place to come and drink Italian wine, whether you want to drink something that's a great value by the glass or right. whether you want to drink, you know, Soldera. Barola, Barolo yeah, Barolo. from the 50s right. or Soldera, yeah. And the team has always been really very important to me. And I've found kind of like the perfect um, match of different individual personalities and strengths. And it's a really, really great team right now. And I love working with them. Nice. And then when does the time come where you're asked to come into Marta? Um, that happened just a few months ago, maybe five or six months ago. Um, I was ready, I think, to take on more, more. challenges. And um, John approached me to ask me if this was something that I would be interested in. And it definitely was. And so we started working on it slowly and gradually and nice. eased into it. And I guess congrats are in order because you took that position. You added Marta. Mm -hmm. And with Marta, across the way, there's a little uh, Roman bar, Vini Frite, yeah. serving Italian little snacks. Mm -hmm. um, and you were recently made the associate director of wine for Union Square Hospitality, which is impressive because, like you said, it's a company you wanted to work for. And the reason being, um, it's a great company. So mm -hmm. that's where you are now. So while I have you here, we're going to get into a lot of stuff, but I want to ask you um, about women in wine because we do uh, a June series. Do you think, and this includes you and what you observe, do women have better opportunities in wine now than, let's say, five years ago, ten years ago, even 15 years ago, which pretty much covers... When you got to New York um, and, you know, to the present, ever any issues, ever any disadvantage? For me personally, I've always been surrounded by and supported by men in my career who never treated me any differently and never held me back but only really lifted me up and got me to the place that I am today. Um, and I think that there are a lot of women that can say that as well. Um, um, but that's because this is such a male-dominated industry for so long. Right. So, you know, I would love to say that uh, I had many mentors along the way who were women, um, but that wasn't the case uh, back then when I was growing up in wine. Um, and so I hope that Someday there's women, you know, that will say that about me, that they had a, a strong woman as a mentor um, who supported them. But for me, right. I was so lucky. Well, that's going on now. So right. I mean, you make your imprint. Um, I think two things. One's a comment, one's a question. I think Union Square Hospitality 
nurtures everybody, male mm-hmm. or female, and I think you're experiencing that. Um, but even looking around outside of the company or friends, I mean, everything kind of feels okay right now? Or I mean, I think that there's certainly more opportunity now, and you're seeing so many women in leadership roles, which is incredible. And little I don't, by little. Little by more little. More and more. Yeah. And I don't, I, you know, I don't think that that was the case 10 years ago, for sure. Right. Um, there are more women now than then, and it kind of trickles down. Um, you said something before, and I was curious. So along the way, there was not that one single woman role model or, or person in your career. You're always surrounded by guys. No influencer, no mentor. No, right? I mean, I've, I have always sort of been the... The lone woman on the team, the you know, and never bothered you. I never thought any differently about That's it. That's great, you know, because, like I said, the people who who were mentoring me or who were the leaders in my company never made me feel that I couldn't do just as well as any of the men on the team. Right. Um, now I asked you this earlier. I want you to tell me about it. You know, I think you have an influence on where things go. One of the restaurants you oversee is Marta, which Mm -hmm. is wood-fired food, Mm -hmm. Roman pizzas and all of that. You have a SOM crew of how many there? We have four sommeliers. And they are four? Four women. Okay. Mm -hmm. And also um, Kim Kavoras, who has just recently been, been promoted to be the wine director there. Okay. Uh, who was the assistant beverage director at Maialino. So it's now a five-woman team. Okay. So it's a five-woman. So now that you go up the ladder a little, you assign a wine director at, right. at Marta, which you had held that position at some point. Right. So, you know, it's a positive thing. You get into the business, and do you feel an obligation or is it just a natural thing that these are the people I don't feel an obligation I just feel like there's so many talented women coming whenever we talented post talented people ad, and they happen to be women and they happen to be women and so it's for me it's always who's the best fit for the team and who's who has the most passion and who's excited and I think that's great yeah um, alright I your knowledge of Italian wines, I'm sure, is off the charts. So while I have you here, um, don't deny that. Um, I want to tap into that. So let's talk about a few things quickly. Sure. Tell me about, and there's a lot, so you pick the few spots that are worth talking about. Tell me about some new, emerging, exciting wines and regions that we should be tasting and buying right now. And you see it all, so. Sure. What what excites you? I would think Sicily would come up, but let's leave that for last. <laughs> okay, we can leave Sicily for last. Um, I think there's a lot happening in the Alto Piemonte, for starters. So uh, break that down for me, Piemonte. Is the part of Italy where Nebbiolo... So, northwestern Italy. Obviously, yes, famous for Nebbiolo in Barolo and Barbaresco, which have been at the forefront of fine wine for for many, many decades at this point. 
Um, but the Alto Piemonte, I think, is an area where people are looking to find um, the value counterpart to Barolo and Barbaresco. And I think, obviously, it's Is it Nebbiolo or they're planting other grapes? Um, it's predominantly Nebbiolo. Nebbiolo. Yeah. Give me a maker or two that's on your radar. Um, producer that we've been so excited about for the last few years is um, Mauro Franchino. M-A-U-R-O? Mm-hmm. Spell Franchino. F-R-A-N-C-H-I-N-O. Okay. Um, not a new producer by any means. He has probably 50 vintages under his belt, um, but just one of these small guys that you know, wow. hasn't really had any exposure. He's a farmer. He makes wine under his house. Is it something and you'll find mostly in restaurants, or you could find it at some stores, better stores? Uh, you probably find it mostly in restaurants Restaurant. or some, okay. some, of, wow, some of the really fine high-end wine stores. All right, so that's Franchino, Alto Pamonte. Give me another region. Um, hmm. Can we talk about Sicily? Because there's yes. multiple regions yes. within Sicily. Yes. Um, so obviously Etna. So explain what Etna is. Very famous area. Why? So Etna is very famous because it's an active volcano. Um, Big news story these days. An active volcano in the Mediterranean that has been growing grapes since antiquity at high elevation um, in the middle of the sea. So you have two things, high elevation, three things, volcanic soil mm -hmm. and that proximity to the sea, mm -hmm. which is salinity, breezes, mm -hmm. that coastal thing. Yeah. Um, so what kind of wines in Etna should we be looking at? Well, so Etna has obviously had, like I mentioned before, there's been a renaissance going on and there's so many producers there now, probably triple the amount that there were when I was there, even just five or six years really? ago. Wow. Yes. Um, and the exciting part about that is, one, the exposure that those producers are getting for their region as a whole, um, but the small producers that are making wine there in a very sort of traditional for Etna way um, – are creating really stunning wines that I think are showing the potential that everyone knows is there. Um, tell me two things. Tell me grape varietals mm -hmm. and tell me a couple of producers. Mm -hmm. uh, red grape, and white. So grape varietals, the main variety is Norella Mascalese. That's the red. That's the main red. Uh, and Give me a quick descriptor of what you'll get when you taste a Norella Mascalese. So... The thing about it is that it has such a spectrum. Um, it's really one of those varieties that I think is is like a ghost, and it's a real trans, uh, terroir transmitter. So obviously there's so many different microclimates and vastly different areas of Etna um, that you could find a wine that is completely different, made from Norella Mascalese, made in a very similar fashion from one zone that's only a mile down the road from another. But I if I had to if I had to compare it to something and I often do, I would say it can lie somewhere or anywhere on the spectrum between a Pinot Noir and Nebbiolo. Okay. So it could, So there's some finesse to it. Absolutely. Definitely. Um but the a other little lightness. 
Pinot can and be, Barolo compared to a Super Tuscan or a Bordeaux. Yes. Yeah, definitely. The one thing about Etna that's so interesting and incredible is the history and the age of the vineyards and how most of the old vineyards don't have just Norello Mascalese and Norello Cappuccio planted in them, but they actually have large portions of many other varieties, five or six other predominant varieties. They use varieties. them to blend? They're all in the vineyards. Okay. So they would co-plant everything together. And so a lot of these vineyards have lots of Alicante in them. They have unknown varietals in them of ancient origin. And so depending on the area and depending on the farmer and what had been growing there for the last 150 years, you can have very, very different wines. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. All right. What about white? So the white. That's Etna Bianco. Etna Bianco. Um, What's the grape? Caracante is the grape. The predominant. Predominant. It can grow um, on the north side of the mountain in small, smaller quantities uh, amongst the red vines. And uh, it really finds its home on the eastern side of Etna, southeastern side, uh, specifically in and around a commune called Milo, which is where the Superiore designation comes in. Right. We're going to taste the Milo. Yeah, and that's the part of the the volcano that's facing the sea. So you really see a lot of the influence. The coastal influence. Exactly. And... These are incredible quality wines of great value, right? We're not talking about... Um, I mean, you can find wines from Etna that range anywhere from 10 to $60. It That's really great, depends, great, but those are all great values. Great for price the, point. Yeah, the quality of the wines. So you're, you're up on uh, Sicily. Um, one last question about wines and regions. What are hyper-regional wines? Is Alto Pamante a hyper-regional? What would you say a hyper-regional wine is? Hyper-regional wines? Um, hmm. Is there a such term? I, I've used that term before, I think. What does it mean? In Italy, it means the way that I, the way that I would say uh, it makes sense in Italy is that Italy has thousands of of grape varieties, and each zone has its local variety, or and, and some of them may be broad, some of them may be a whole area that just plants Sangiovese, but there are places like uh, Ruche, for example, the grape Ruche. Which Spell it R-U-C-H-E. R-U-C-H-E. Yeah, which is in Piemonte, and I would call that a hyper-regional wine because mostly found... Um, in a town, an area Monferrato, Castiglione. Tracking Monferrato. down. Is that a wine worth tracking down, Ruke? One hundred percent. Yeah, okay. it's one of the one of the great little unique. Does Italy epitomize hyper regionality? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. That's what makes it such a fascinating country to represent in terms of wine, because we have so many. Um, so many different places that have their unique wines growing up alongside their unique food culture as well and it's been that way since antiquity right all right of the i think i know the answer to this of the king bees of italian wine Mm -hmm. barbaresco brunello and barolo Mm -hmm. you have to have a favorite right 
Do you? Um, it's sort of a cage match between Sangiovese and Nebbiolo. Where are you at in that fight? I think with, solely because of my own experience, um, I'm a little bit more Barolo Barbaresco. Okay. Just from exposure and where you came from? Yeah. Yeah, I've had a lot. And I think a lot of that is I can attribute to the fact that I've had a lot of Barolo and Barbaresco with significant amounts of age on it. So that... And the way that those wines age is, it, is incredible. Is, is any one a better food wine than the other? Is it perceived to be better or they're all complementary? I don't think you can say that because okay. it really just depends on what's the food. Um, but I do find that Nebbiolo is a very, very versatile uh, food wine. But there are examples of Sangiovese that are extremely right. light and elegant that can pair well with lots of different types of food as well. Right. I agree with that. Um, I want to ask you one more question, then we're going to take a break. Um, when we come back, I want to talk to you about the wine programs. Then I want to ask you our wineless questions. Sure. And then we're going to taste some wine. Um, how important to you to your wine programs are organic, biodynamic, natural wines? Is it important for you to carry them? Do you have a bunch? Do yes. Do you feel you mix a few in? I mean, what's your position on that? Uh, it's very important. Um, Why? Uh, I think just as we as a culture become more and more aware of uh, the food that we put into our bodies and the quality of the ingredients that we cook with, uh, I think that we need to consider also the same thing for the, what we drink. Um, People forget that. I agree. Grapes are the raw ingredient of wine. And if you don't have great grapes, then, you know. Are your lists well represented? I think that our lists highlight um, traditional, classic, and esoteric wines. And I think that you can find examples of natural and organic wines in all of those categories. Nice. I so, thought you were going to just say yeah. the esoteric category. No. But no. In all categories. You can drink a wine that's extraordinarily polished and, and beautiful, and it could be biodynamic and organic and nice. natural. Nice. We're talking to Jenny Guzio. Jenny is the Associate Director of Wine for Union Square Hospitality Group. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to ask Jenny a few more questions, subject her to a wine list, and taste a Sicilian wine. You're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. secret that I like being that person who always has some great wine on hand. When I know I've got a few bottles hanging around the kitchen, I feel like I'm ready for anything. If anything, is just because I never know when friends will drop by unannounced or because it's even just a Monday. I also hate that last minute run to the store. Wine was never meant to be bought in a hurry. It's funny how we have so much patience growing the grapes, aging the wine, only to feel pressured when you're staring at the shelf. I use Vivino to scan and keep track of my favorites. But lately, I've been stocking up through their web store. They have the best prices and largest online wine inventory, but can also give you personalized recommendations based on bottles you've liked in the past. 
and I use their premium service for unlimited free shipping. That's an extra bottle's worth of savings on every order. Plus, they have a 30-day free trial. I just grab a few at a time and save them from when the right moment rolls around. You never know when that'll be. Visit vivino.com backslash grape nation to stock up. All right, we're back. We're back with my je- guest, Jenny Guzio. Jenny, Associate Wine Director at Union Square Hospitality. Jenny, let's talk about the wine programs you oversee, Maialino, Marta, and Vine Frite. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with Maialino. That's the largest, right? Yeah. Give me a quick description of what that list is. That list, I think, um, or how how we envision it is that it's a, a comprehensive list of Italian wine from north to south um, that really sort of champions everyone from the little guy to the Biondi Santis. Not and just the, the trophies. The trophy wines right. that everyone knows and loves as well. Does um, it rival any Italian list in the city? Yeah, I think it does. <laughs> Why would you say anything else? <laughs> what I think that um, what I think that makes me so excited to to work there and to um, curate that list is that we are able to offer those wines at such incredible value, and I think that's what sets us apart. That's always a great thing yeah. to have the opportunity to try great wines that you don't see and pay a reasonable price. Absolutely. Um, just quickly break down its predominantly. Probably no surprise, a lot of Barolo, Barbaresco. Yeah, I What's think... What's the breakdown? Uh, I think there's a good a good proportion of it is Piemonte. Not just Barolo and Barbaresco, but also Alto Piemonte, as Lange. I mentioned. And also some of the um, other varieties that you find there. Barbaresco, I'm sorry, Barbera, Barbera. Uh, Dolcetto, Ruque, as we mentioned. All the little guys. Um, Sicily is obviously a big right. focus. Uh, Tuscany is a big focus. It's got all um, the good stuff. And then champagne. <laughs> now, for an Italian restaurant, and this may go back to your predecessors, it's an insane champagne list, right? Yeah. I insane. Mean, pages, right? Yeah. I think we have Why does it probably make, about 200 selections of champagne. Why so much champagne? Let, well, wait, this was a question I was going <laughs> to ask you later, but it fits in now. Go ahead. Is there a lot of champagne because champagne's been an in thing and a sommelier love, or is it complementary to the food and a great offering? Um, well, there's a couple of facets to that question. Um, believe it or not, despite the popularity of champagne, probably in the last five or six years of grower champagne, specifically amongst industry or sommeliers, um, it has always been one of the most difficult wines to sell. Even at celebratory restaurants like Del Posto, (laughs) I sold very, very little champagne. Um, But I think something has happened in the last uh, few years um, where it has gone beyond just the sommelier darling wine to something that guests are more open to trying and exploring. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that people across the city have made their champagne list very accessible in terms of price. Um, and also because growers 
are on the market now that are making their champagnes very accessible right. in terms of price. And so, you know, if you can now buy an incredible champagne for under hundred dollars, it's a good uh, wine to have at a meal. As why I mean. not give it? Why not right. give it a try? And it, you know, it pairs well with the food. And then also. Italians love champagne. They're probably one of the biggest consumers of champagne really? in the world. And you cannot go to uh, a wine bar in Piemonte or you know somewhere in the Barola region offered. and not find all of these incredible grower champagnes. They probably have access to more than we do. All right. So that's, that's a very fair answer. All right. Now let's talk about Marta, your other restaurant, yeah. which has a lot of thin crust Roman pizza and a lot of food prepared over wood mm-hmm. with fires. Mm-hmm. So obviously the list is going to complement that. Yeah. What's going on with that list? One that's different than Maylino, obviously different food. But where are the strengths there? Do you have opportunities to do other things there? I think that the that wine is that wine list is all about fun. You know, it is a pizzeria. And uh, I think we have a little bit more flexibility there to go off the beaten path and explore some of the, you know. More than myelina. A little bit. Right. Yeah. Um, You know, we don't need to do deep verticals of Barolo there, although we have them. Right. If someone's interested, the focus is more on... And what's fun and delicious and fresh. And So give me an example of being fun that's delicious and fresh. Like what's uh, a good example of that? Um, you know, we sell lots of like fun rosés, Cherosuolo to Bruzzo, uh, Pella Verga from Piemonte, uh, of course at Neroso. I mean, um, right. there's lots of wine that goes really well with pizza, but Good you know, also natural wines are a big thing there. More a little, natural a little there, bit more Marta so. Than, right. A little bit, it yeah. It fits into the the vibe and everything. A hundred percent. And then we can't forget also Lazio, which um, is where Rome is home. So that's where our restaurants are centered in, in terms of our Italian restaurants. Right, and right, so right. we try to represent some of those varieties as well, Cesanese. Um, which isn't on everyone's top ten list, no. but uh, there are some really great producers and some fun give me wines one. there. Um, one that we focus on in Lazio specifically uh, is Andrea Ocapinti, who's a great young producer. Right. SP sixty eight is one of our wines. That's uh, Ariana. Ariana. This is Any another re- Ocapinti. Different, not related. <laughs> nah, uh, this is in Lazio. Wow. Yeah. Right. She, he uh, is, yeah. He is up yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Ariana's down south. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they are Roman trattorias, so exactly. you need to authenticate by exactly, having yeah. um, those wines. All right, and then next door to Marta, which is this massive, you know, beautiful, cool restaurant, is a little uh, bar called Vine Frite, mm-hmm. which is an expression of sitting at a bar and eating the fried snacks and, you know, having a list. Yeah. That list complements that food, and that is... What's the list there? That list is very champagne heavy. Because champagne uh, goes moment. great with... Fritti. <laughs> Fritti. As good as anything, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously, champagne and fried food is a pairing for the ages. Um, but it's not just champagne. There are Italian sparkling wines there as well. And also, we're starting to work together, Kim and I, 
um, to build that list a little bit more to include uh, wines beyond champagne and probably leaning a little bit more in that um, sort of fun esoteric. Right. So you're going to see some change and yeah. new entries there. Yeah. Great. Um, so those are your wine lists at Jenny's Restaurants. Obviously very exciting, very interesting, very diverse. Um, if you get down there, you're going to have some great people steer you towards some great opportunities, whether it's value <laughs> or killers and all of that. The funniest I know that. people. Yeah. I mean, I've been to all the restaurants, and I've only experienced a good time. All right, Jenny, we're going to move along to our wine list. It's a bunch of questions that we ask our guests, buzz through them. Um, and we're always curious about what the experts are drinking out there now. So the first question is, what are you drinking now? What are you trying, exploring, tasting? What's on the table, seasonal? I'm drinking a lot of champagne. Have you always been drinking a lot of champagne or are you even drinking more now? I'm drinking more than I ever have because I'm constantly looking for great value in champagne Give me uh, for the our restaurants. And so best I'm value things. champagne you've just had, uh, probably a small grower? Or the best value champagne, in my opinion, is a, a champagne um, based a producer based in Ambonet, Benoit Marguet. Um, M-A-R-G-U-E-T. Okay. And he's making a wine. Uh, his entry-level wine, if you want to call it that, is called Shaman. He makes it in... S-H-A-M-A-N. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can, also comes in rosé form. And so, uh, those are incredible wines. Great recommendation. All right, so you're drinking champagne. Do you have, have you developed, is it on your list, a favorite wine and food pairing? Um, favorite wine and food pairing? Something that reoccurs. I mean, it's not like every Thursday night you do your wine and food pairing, but is there something that... Yeah. Um, it, it, I know everyone always pairs champagne with something, but I actually... Uh, working... Some people do standard stuff. Some people have thrown in some interesting stuff. <laughs> so it, the door is open for you to throw anything out. Uh, working at Maialino, you know, we, we're famous for Cacio e Pepe. Which is a very uh, the rich quintessential pasta, Roman pasta, cheese, pepper, cheese and so pepper, spice and cheese, and that is an incredible pairing with champagne. First time ever, good for you. I thought you were gonna go with the oyster thing. No, good for you. So cacio pepe, the classic. Is that Roman? Cacio pepe is a Roman yeah. dish, and champagne. Very good choice. All right, you've been in the city many many years. Grew up in the area. Your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. Give me a couple. And I don't want you to be inclusive, exclusive. I don't. You're not leaving anyone out or favoring anyone. But who's doing it well? Where have you been to that you like to go to that knows what they're doing, has the selection? Anything come to mind? Um, wine restaurant. Or uh, bar. Or bar. I really love, I love to go to Racine. Um, whenever I can. Racine's downtown. Pascaline Le Peltier is there now. Yeah, I've always thought that they have had such a really thoughtful list and also excellent food in a casual environment, which is kind of what I'm always looking for. Good choice. Give me one more. Uh, I just recently went to this place uh, here in Brooklyn uh, called Have and Meyer. And I've only been there once, but I definitely want to go Made back. Made an impression? 
it made a huge impression. Wine-wise? The question is a wine-centric uh, question. All of it, yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's, it's an Italian restaurant um, whose focus is on slow food and slow wine. Cool. And they have, I think, like 100 selections of wine by the glass. Wow. Um, everything's by the glass, so it seems. And the food is very authentic. It's very, nice. very authentically have Italian. Have and Meyer. Yeah, it's and also very casual. Yeah. Cool. So check that out. It's all very right. cool. Jenny Guzio's favorite all-time wine. Could be one, could be a couple. It's like something always, that was a memorable... Yeah, not like the first time I tasted Romani Conti. I mean, what? what's just that wine that's memorable and favorite that you shouldn't struggle over the answer? <laughs> I find that is struggle. Um, the most, so this maybe this falls under the Romani Conti esque okay. uh, category, but the most memorable wine that I, I ever tasted was 1958 Monfortino. And not, I've had it. The Pergola? Or it, just the. Um, Mon, the no, the, that's Monfortino. The 1958 uh, Giacomo Conterno Monfortino. Right, right, right. I had it. I've had it a few times, but the first time that I ever had it was probably one of the most um, emotional times that I ever tasted a wine, and it elicited a response that was totally get it. To- almost you know, like tears. Historic age, you know, something you've been drinking and following. Yeah, um, that's a good one. All right, I think you'd be great at answering this last question. <laughs> Give me your best wine. It's more of a retail than a restaurant question. So think retail pricing. Give me your best wine around 15, 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. Give me a red and a white. I always say I have, my kids are in their mid-20s. They're starting to go to dinner parties. They don't want to bring crappy wine. They don't want to spend a lot of money. What should they buy for a white, for a red? You could do region, varietal, brand, whatever comes to mind. Um, I think... If you're going to a party, I think a white wine, if we could stick with Italy, I think a white wine from Liguria, Vermentino. Love um, Vermentino, white wine. Is such a versatile and crowd-pleasing white. Good food wine. great food wine and so refreshing. And great, great value. Great value, and you can drink a lot of it. Give me, (laughs) I agree with you, give me, is there a maker that you could throw out? Producer? Uh, a couple of producers that are really great. One is called uh, a producer called Punta Crena. Spell? Uh, P-U-N-T-A-C-R-E-N-A. Okay. Um, little higher end than that is one of the great producers in Liguria is called Ottaviano Lambruschi, um, which I highly recommend you seek out those wines okay. if you haven't found them. All right, so Vermentino. Um, yeah. I will, uh, we post everything on our social media. Awesome. So uh, we'll post your wine list answers and we'll post our weekly wine sip. Um, give me a red, value red, 15, 20 bucks. Uh, so if we stay in that same region, actually. Um, okay. Can, um, there's a grape variety called Rosese. Uh, Spell it. R-O-S-S-E-S-E. Okay. Rosessi is the grape? Uh, yes. And I find it to be... Very, if, you, if you like Beaujolais, if you like Cru Beaujolais, um, you will love this. It's got that feel. This variety. Nice. Yeah, so... And it's uh, in that price bracket? 
there are producers that are in that price bracket. One of my favorite producers in that region is uh, a producer, Macario Dringenberg. Um, is that a person's name? <laughs> it's two people's names, uh, last names. It sounds like yeah. the rabbi of uh, someone's temple. But these wines are really, really stunning, and they're um, so food-friendly, but also you can just drink them on their own. Those are two great recommendations. We're going to post those. So Ligoria. <laughs> Ligoria. That's why we brought you in here. Awesome. All right, our last segment, and we're going to wrap up in the next five minutes, is our weekly wine sip. Every week we taste a different wine on air for our weekly wine sip this week. Um, Jenny offered to bring in a wine. So Jenny, quickly tell me, first of all, pour yourself some more, and then quickly tell me what you brought in. What wine is this? Uh, so this is, sorry, this is a Evenieri, so Salvo Fotis. Uh, Salvo Fotis, the maker, the producer. Mm-hmm. Um, and the wine is called Vigna de Milo. V-I-G-N-A. D-I-M-I-L-O. And Milo is that? So Milo is the commune on the eastern side of Etna that is for the Superiore designation for Etna Bianco. Um, And this wine is, I think, one of the most stunning examples of white wine in all of Italy. Really? I buy it every year as much as I possibly can, and it's never enough. What are we talking retail? Uh, this probably retails for about $30. Great price point. Um, so this is a killer wine for the price. It's an interesting wine. It's, and a, it's, it's an incredible wine. Okay. Um, I want to take a picture of the bottle. All right, so let's, let's evaluate it. Color is a beautiful, you know, yellow, deep straw, right? Straw, definitely. All right. Nose. Tell me your nose descriptors. I definitely think there's a little bit of like a bruised apple or or slightly overripe um, apple. Right. And then uh, a tinge of like an almond or yeah. a little bit of like a, a roast nut yep. character. All right. So let's go mouthfeel. To me, it's a medium bodied wine, not heavy, not thin. Agree? It is a medium bodied wine and definitely has... Um, Medium plus, actually. It's, it has it's a filling. oily texture yeah, to that it. That gives it that just very beautiful mouthfeel. Kind of a hallmark of Caraconte. Um, palette. What do we get on the palate? The apple carryover? It does, for sure. There's definitely a lot of acidity in the wine, and I think that the prevailing character is this the salinity in the wine. Mm, there's definitely that. I mean, you are literally pleasant. right next to the sea. And, and you're also in an area where when, when the volcano erupts, which is frequently, it's basically pelleting the vineyards with these tiny, really? tiny, uh, almost like... Volcanic. Pebbles, pebbles. of nice. volcanic stone. Um, give me a couple of foods that pairs well with this. Seafood. Seafood. Straight uh, up. Shellfish, Definitely fish. fried seafood. For it sure. could go fried. Mm-hmm. It can go uh, grilled, broiled whitefish. Yep. And Shellfish. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then also uh, pork, which pork. is what everyone on it uh, okay. eats in terms of protein. So great with pork. All right. So I'm going to ask you this question, but I know the answer. Do we like this wine? We love this wine. 
I love this This wine. is a special wine, so I thank you for bringing it in. Mm -hmm. All right, Jenny, we're going to wrap up. We've been talking to Jenny Guzio. Um, if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at thegrapenation.com. That's sam at thegrapenation. Follow us on Facebook at the Grape Nation. We'll post Jenny's wine list answers, and I'll post all the info on the weekly wine sip selection on our social media sites. Follow us on Instagram at sbenruby, and always follow the hashtag the Grape Nation. And on Twitter, it's at benruby. Also subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on itunes stitcher and uh, spotify jenny where can we find you on social media and all the other places um my social media handle on instagram is j guzio g-u-i-z-i-o okay yeah um, and the restaurant channel right. <laughs> and the restaurants myelino nyc marta manhattan mini friti there you go all right I want to thank our guest, Jenny Guzio, for coming in. She dropped a lot of solid knowledge on us, and good luck and congrats um, to you, you at Union Square Hospitality. I want to thank our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. We just kicked off our annual summer fun drive, so we need you, the listener, to help and donate to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Do me a favor this week. Just skip one bottle of wine and take that money and make a donation. We certainly can use your help, and we thank you for that. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.